Welcome to the Uncut Podcast. I'm Pastor Luke. I'm Pastor Cameron. And this is the Uncut Podcast where we talk about uh, church, life, ministry, all the things in between, and in an uncut and honest manner. Mm -hmm. So um, today, the day that we're recording this podcast is um, Holy Week. It's Maundy Thursday. Uh, Monday, Thursday, however you want to say that. That's mm-hmm. a hard mm-hmm. couple of words to say together. Not but Monday, Thursday. Not Monday, Thursday. Maundy. Maundy. Thursday. M-A-U-N-D-Y. Yes, Thursday. What is Maundy Thursday, Pastor Luke? Well, it's... The, I don't know. actually know what the word Monday means. Do you? Off the top of your head? Well, I do, but oh, do, do you, you know what it means? No, I don't. I know well, what it, I know what not, it signifies. I'm not going to tell you if you don't. Oh. Actually, I don't know either. Okay. <laughs> That's what I'm not going to say. <laughs> well, it's... I know it's, someone who does know, though. Oh, okay. Dr. Google will tell us. Dr. Google will tell us. But I will tell us what the night uh, at least commemorates. I don't know what the specific origin of the name is, but it does commemorate the Last Supper the, um, that Jesus had with his disciples um, before he is later arrested that night and then put on trial and executed the next day on Good Friday. Um, so it's part of the sequence and days of events leading up to his crucifixion and resurrection. So what does Google say? Oh, this is interesting. I didn't, I would not have guessed this. Okay. I, I would have guessed that it would had that it would have had something to do with like the Passover meal or something, but Maundy actually is a word for foot washing. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So. It's uh, Mondi or washing of the saints' feet. Okay. Or washing of the feet. Or pedalavium. Which Ped is. And foot. Okay. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> um, um, yeah. Lavium, or which I'm, th- I'm like, I'm assuming is like leve or lavar, which is to wash and. Other Romance languages is a religious rite observed by various Christian denominations. So, are we having a foot washing service tonight? Um, I do not plan <laughs> to have a foot washing service tonight. Um, but yeah, honestly, like John, um, I think one of the more significant accounts of Maundy Thursday or the foot washing is in John chapter 13, which is mm-hmm. one of, I don't want to say it is, but it's, it ranks up there for me at least as like one of my favorite passages in the gospel, yeah. uh, in the gospels, um, just because I think it's really rich with theological stuff. Like there's, you know, um, there's a high Christology there. Mm-hmm. Where in the first part of John chapter 13, um, John is recording like the sovereignty and supremacy and authority of Jesus. Yeah. But then it's just like the whole thing flips. And he was like, because Jesus, everything was under Jesus's feet. And because he was, he had all authority, he got up from the table, mm-hmm. took off his outer clothes, got down on his feet, or got down on his knees and washed his disciples' feet. Mm-hmm. And 
and there was one, I think there's one phrase in there that John uses is that he was now going to show them the extent of his love. Mm-hmm. I think some people are like, I know that some, some people have tried to make that to mean that it was a precursor to the crucifixion, mm-hmm. like that the crucifixion was going to show the full extent of his love, which is not wrong, obviously. Right. That's a true statement. Yeah. But, but the context there is that, no, it was like in Jesus's serving mm-hmm. in a really demonstrable way. Right. That was the demon. That was the demonstration mm-hmm. of his love for them. And then all the other themes involved, like the fact that he washed Judas's feet. Yeah. Um, the fact that he told his disciples, you know, the things that you have seen me done now, go and do likewise. Yeah. And so the, you know, what kind of commission does that lead for us as Christians in general, but, you know, as Christian leaders specifically mm-hmm. in, um, you know, taking on not just a posture an attitude of humility, but an actual practice of humility and service to those that we um, are serving. Um, so anyway, I mean, John chapter 13. Yeah. Well, that starting there and then all the way up, like you have, um, that's just like John out of all the gospels probably slows down the most mm-hmm. when it comes to that night before Christ's um, arrest, yeah. right? And it slows down even during Holy Week. Mm-hmm. Like, I think majority of John's gospel, I think, covers, like, the uh, most of the... I, I don't think this is wrong. I think most of the text of John is the Holy Week in crucifixion. Yeah. Like, it spends a whole lot of time, or percentage or portion of its time on that. And then it goes up to the high priestly prayer mm-hmm. and all of that text. And it's yeah. just a very dense section right there. Yeah, I think it would be like, you know, almost almost 50% of John's gospel is pretty close to, pretty close to 50% of John's gospel is, yeah, that last few days mm-hmm. of Jesus' life. Whereas you take like Matthew, and yeah. like most of it is his teaching and his miracles yes. in Matthew. Um, yeah. So really interesting to talk about and to think about why the different gospel writers, why they approached the story of Jesus differently, Yeah, what their purpose and roles were and everything. They're going to be teaching a class on the gospels yep. here in well, a couple months. Yeah, maybe yeah. not quite two months, two yeah. months. And um, be talking uh, a lot about that, like, well, what are the what are the significant or not so significant? I guess w- why do we have four gospels? Yeah. What What's the difference? Why do we why why do we even need them or whatever? But I, I'm excited for that class. We were just talking about that before the cameras yeah. were rolling. But um, so yeah, today's Maundy Thursday. Tomorrow is um, Good Friday. Yep. So. Uh, I, you know, and I've, I've been thinking about this, and um, I think sometimes, you know, in our church tradition, like, of being kind of non-denom, broadly evangelical, like, Easter does kind of get truncated a little bit, 
Like, I think, like, I remember when I was younger, um, again, this is my experience, so mm-hmm. I don't know if this is everybody's experience or not, but there was, in, in my experience, I remember celebrating Easter. Mm-hmm. I never remember celebrating Good Friday. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't until I was in high school, I think, and it be kind of became a bit of a trendy thing to have um, to have a Good Friday service. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, like if if you're coming from a more high church background, you know, um, you'd be like, huh? Like, because you would just be saying like, we always do Good Friday, right? right? Like all the church calendar has always been very much honored, but at least in my background, very non-denom, very low liturgy and low, like not, not never even really mentioning the words church calendar. Mm-hmm. I remember there was a point at which I was like, oh, this is new, like Good yeah. Friday and um, Ash Wednesday and Maundy Thursday and like all of these kind of, um, mm-hmm. and thinking more about Holy Week more than um, just Easter, mm-hmm. right, was a new experience for me. And I don't know if that's just was unique to me or if that was a broader trend across non-denom churches or not, but... Um, yeah, I don't know. Um, I guess... So this is actually the first non-denominational church that I've ever gone to <laughs> or attended. Yeah. Well, I mean, besides like where I went, where I went in college, like I was, yeah. you know, but no one really counts the church they go to in college. Uh, <laughs> you don't. You just don't, right? It's like this isn't my real church. This is my yeah. church away from home. Yeah. Um, but I remember growing up and going to United Methodist Church and then being a United Methodist pastor. Mm-hmm. Where, um, like we were rocking the bulletins, you know, we had bulletins, mm, yeah, mm-hmm. and it was the same order of worship every week, so you knew the progression of the liturgy, meaning like there was a greeting, a pastoral greeting, and prayer, and a call and response, and the Lord's prayer, and then mm-hmm. um, the gospel reading, and then the hymn, and then the Old Testament reading, and then a hymn, and then the sermon, and you, you know, you you, you go through it, and yep. like. But at the top of the bulletin or the top of the order of worship every week, it was like, um, you know, fifth Sunday in Lent. Yeah. Or, um, you know, like, and then, or Advent or Pentecost or yeah. whatever the case may be. Ordinary time. And then, right. And then, <laughs> and then there was, and then there was like, uh, you know, third Sunday or 56th day of ordinary time, yeah. which seems, seems really strange for people who aren't, don't have maybe a more liturgical background and not even a liturgical background, but just like a, a church who has maybe is a little bit more actively aware mm-hmm. of the church calendar and uses it to guide worship. Yeah. Um, but I mean, you talked a little bit about it in your sermon last week. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, you know, I, like, I don't know what it is. Uh, you know, I don't know if it's that I'm getting older and if just, all old people like liturgy. <laughs> or, you know, or, uh, don't write me an email about that. All right, no texts about that. I'm not being pejor- I'm not being pejorative. <laughs> but like, um, I'm 
more and more I'm developing continue I, I always did have an appreciation for it, but developing more and more of like a um I miss that. Yeah. I miss liturgy. Mm-hmm. I miss um the uh more guided and um yeah, more guided church calendar and yeah. celebration. And yep. um, I don't know if it comes from the standpoint of now, like essentially leading worship services for the last, you know, 19, almost 20 years now. And I'm maybe a little bit tired or worn out on trying to plan something. <laughs> yeah. Where like the history of the Christian church has always been like what's the lectionary saying right right like in a lot of ways the the church has already the, the big c church throughout history has already taken that task and like made it easy mm-hmm. by developing orders of worship and yeah um so that you know okay pastor put your time and your effort into reading the word and praying and um uh being with your people and then prepare you know whatever prepare the message that the lord has given to your heart and then bring it on a sunday Mm -hmm. rather than like this element that element and then put this element in and take that element out or whatever so yeah and if if you're not if you're totally confused and lost as to what we're talking about there's different traditions have different books or lectionaries Mm -hmm. uh there there's broad similarities between them even well i think the lectionary itself is the same across denominationalism Mm. so like if you just type in lectionary there's not like a methodist or presbyterian or catholic lectionary yeah the lectionary is um ecumenical in that in that sense and but then you've got different they've got different hymns worship books that kind of like and there's is it a four-year cycle or three-year cycle three-year cycle it's a three-year cycle of like Old Testament, New Testament passages, Psalms, all kind of intermixed so mm-hmm. that you cover essentially the whole Bible in the course of like three years. Three years, for the most part. For the yeah, most part. for the most part. You know, you're, the lectionary is a tool that church leaders can use to give over the course of three years a really comprehensive survey mm-hmm. of the both Christian New Testament and Hebrew Old Testament scriptures. Yep. And, um, and it's not like every single verse, every single chapter right. is covered, but I mean, you're hitting the prophets and the apocalyptic literature and the gospels and the epistles and the mm-hmm. letters and, you know, the historical books and the wisdom literature and everything like that. And in fact, you know, I think it can be a really valuable tool. Uh, in fact, one of my earliest, um, uh, I don't know if I've mentioned this here before. I know I've mentioned it somewhere before, but one of my earliest mentors in ministry um, told me when I first became a pastor, he was like, my recommendation for you is that for the first six years of your ministry, so essentially two rotations through the lectionary that you preach, that you use and preach the lectionary. Mm-hmm. And I was a little yeah. confused about that. I was like, well, I don't want to do that. I can do whatever, you know, like right, I'll I'm just... The pastor. Right, I'll just... And he was like, no, the reason is that it forces you as a pastor to deal with or 
wrestle with or whatever, however you want. Um, scripture references and scripture, different scriptures that you may choose to avoid yeah. because they're difficult. Yep. You know, maybe you don't fully understand the theological message or it's a applicability for your people mm-hmm. or it's historical contextual relevance or yep. uh, whatever. And so you skip over them. Yeah. And we rob our people of the whole the, council, the whole council of God yeah. by saying, you know, no, I'm just going to stay in the gospels all the time because that's where Jesus is. And that's what right. like, no one's saying don't preach in the gospels. But right. what we're saying is that like the Lord does speak mm-hmm. in the old Testament. Yeah. The Lord does speak in the letters and in the prophets. And yep. so that there is wisdom there for mm-hmm. our people. Or if you do only kind of like topical chunks, like you set a, a theme or a question for a series and then you kind of, you know, pick and pull from the Bible, you won't ever get like a full, it doesn't force us as preachers to uh, go through passages or it also just relies on even our own um, resources and understanding of the Bible. Mm-hmm. We might omit passages simply because we're just unaware of them or something like that in that type of survey. So I think that's a, which is part of the reason I think at least one of the reasons why we tend to do chunks, Mm -hmm. not every sermon series is a chunk of scripture, No, um, Mm -hmm. but we try and mix in a good mix. All those different types of preaching serve good purposes. Yeah. it's so, funny or go ahead. I was gonna ask, so how I was gonna say how so how does a how does a pastor who doesn't use the lectionary, how do they plan their preaching calendar? That's an excellent question, Cameron. Um <laughs> yeah. Well, like with prayer, I think sure. usually with prayer and then we usually um we have some discussion over like what seems to be the state of our church. Mm-hmm. Um, what are maybe the, are there any pastoral themes that seem to be coming up? Maybe a lack of understanding in this, Mm -hmm. or maybe a refresher in this, or need to hear this type of comforting or this type of challenging message during this season. Um, we kind of look backwards, see what have we been talking about? We've been doing a lot of gospels and we've been doing a lot of letters and we've been doing a lot of old testament and try and say okay well we haven't done an old testament narrative or we haven't done an old testament prophet in a while let's um do that right like last summer we did um the minor prophets right we did a survey of the minor prophets love it was amazing it was a really good series Mm -hmm. um it was really that was a really dense series to try and cover a single minor prophet in a Sunday sometimes, but it was a good yeah. challenge to talk about books of the Bible that often are just never talked about or yeah. not, never even read sometimes. Right. Um, so that's one, like that's yeah. at least how we've kind of done it. Right. Um, yeah. Because the, there's kind of this, I don't know, I, I guess I don't know what, what most people think about how pastors prepare their preaching calendar. Like we, I will say for us here, we are, we're, we try to plan a year out. Right. So in January, I know what I'm going to be preaching in the fall. Yes. One of the reasons that we do that is so that we can prepare and we Mm -hmm. can plan and we can make, we can make plans that aren't just associated with the, the text of the sermon that week, but like that we can do holistic church wide 
mm-hmm. planning around themes and yep we've like made little study booklets yep. and things like that ahead mm-hmm. of time and also like well it helps us think yeah well like that's the thing is like well if you're if we've got like a four week five week sermon series yeah. on whatever and we're wor- we're working each week to preach those sermons and we don't know what the next sermon series is we also need to be thinking on like what's the next sermon series going to be? And like, do we need to be doing any, and that doesn't provide any level of prayerfulness going Mm -hmm. into it or planning it. Um, And so it's just like that, you know, and and it, it keeps us, you know, especially if we're just going from sermon series to sermon series, I think the temptation would be to lean in, lean more into our natural inclinations rather than being, because it's the same thing. Like, all right, you put on, you get, you sit down at night to watch whatever show you're going to watch on Netflix or whatever, and you're like, let's try and find something new. Yeah. Hour and a half later, uh, let's just watch, watch the, the office. Watch the office. <laughs> watch Friends. Uh, yeah. Right. Like, just go back to what's uh, comfortable. Yep. Like, uh, let's exactly. just watch this again because I'm try- tired of trying to find something to watch. You know. Yep. Um, Similar thing, if we're having to run at a pace of like always planning what's next, we're going to default to things and not not do a good job of that. So I guess all that to say that like devoid, being a church that doesn't use the lectionary the way that you know, many churches and pastors have done, we do still try. We're not just throwing darts at a dartboard. Oh, no. Like my, there's a, there is a really healthy balance between prayer mm-hmm. and practicality. Yeah. You know, like, I think maybe some people would assume that, like, we pray and then God downloads specific, like, series or texts into our spirit. Yeah. Like, and then we know. We just know that we know that we know and that it's fully from God. And, like, okay, like, are there times and are there series or are there texts that I know that the Spirit of the Lord is like, we need to bring this this week or in right. this season or whatever. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. But there's also like I think a a lot to say about like you spend time in prayer, you spend time listening to the Lord, you spend time knowing your people. Mm-hmm. Incredibly important to yeah. know your church, to yeah. know your people. And then in a similar way to what you already said, like, okay, now how do we approach the the task of preaching, the calling to preach in a way that is comprehensive and doesn't abandon certain parts of scripture? Okay. So like in my own planning, I try to do at least one series in the gospels mm-hmm. a year. Um, I want to do at least one series in a letter or an epistle. Mm-hmm. So like for this, for as for example, this year we're going to be doing a series on the Gospel of Mark. Mm-hmm. We're going to be doing a series on the Letter to the Romans. Yep. You know, so those are two examples. Okay, now what topical things? What are things that are like topically speaking? We want to. We think we need to. We think we need to talk about this year, but don't. There's not necessarily like a part of Scripture that you go to to learn about this specific thing. So, right. like two of those topics this year for us are going to be prayer Mm -hmm. which is the next series after the lenten series and um then we're going to do a series in the late summer early fall on 
um, money. Mm-hmm. So giving, tithing, generosity, sacrifice, mm-hmm. money, resources, all that. Um, and so there, and then we try to do an Old Testament, like at least at least one like series or survey or yeah. topical thing out of the uh, Old Testament. I had a, a friend of mine uh, who's a pastor um, down in Erie. Actually, their church did some, just did a series that I'm like, oh, I am stealing that series for sure. Yeah, uh, maybe cool. next year. Uh, and they they preached a series through the um, through the five covenants. Ooh, so like the, the covenant theologian. Yeah. Yes, like the covenant with Noah and yeah. the covenant with Abraham and the covenant with Moses, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and like so, I I think you know that like I mean that's a great 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 idea because then we have we come into the New Testament and we have mm-hmm. we are we are a covenant people, right? Christians are a covenant people. Mm-hmm. The, the covenant that we have is the covenant of the blood of Jesus, right? Um, and this is the new covenant. This is the new covenant, yeah. right? And uh, so, uh, yeah, so it's stuff like that. I'm like, oh my gosh, that is just rich in theological depth mm-hmm. and speaks to the heart of God and answers a lot of questions that people have. Like, okay, is the God of the Old Testament the same as the God of the New Testament? It's like, what is the relation there? It's like, was God always trying to do the same thing from the moment that Adam and Eve sinned to the completion of it in Jesus Christ was like he always moving his people towards redemption. Mm-hmm. And how is he doing that through covenant? And how is he doing that through law giving? And how is he doing that through like calling people back to repentance through the prophets? And, mm-hmm. and then it's fulfillment in Jesus is like you, it's just, I think it's a really rich sermon. So or yeah. sermon series. So anyway, um, so yeah, it is intentional, even though it might not be based off of a three-year cycle, right? Like we have in the lectionary. Yeah, I find it really funny that you were saying that, like, as you're getting older, and like old people like the the liturgy and stuff mm-hmm. like that. My experience and exposure to it, and again, like my experience is not everybody's experience, but the Bible college I went to, being broadly evangelical and non-denominational uh-huh. it was like the hip and trendy thing for to like liturgy. to do liturgy yeah like the baptist kid and the non-denom kid all became anglican like yeah. and you could spot them too it's on the campus emerging church. yeah you could like mm-hmm. it's like oh i i know what church you go to because the yeah. way you're dressing <laughs> like that was an interesting nice. like you could kind of pick them out and uh-huh. like people who which professors they were drinking the juice from and yeah. like we're really jiving with. And that was even a little bit of my experiences. Just like I grew up not at all in yeah. a liturgical church. And I'm like, oh my gosh, there's so much richness and deepness. And now I have a I, I have a significant appreciation for for liturgy and um I've used the lectionary in my own daily devotionals during mm. different seasons of my life, mm-hmm. using doing the quote unquote daily office, yeah. which is just the old version of um Quiet times and daily mm-hmm. devotionals, kind of divided up over monk, monks, mm-hmm. different times of the day, and and different scriptures set out for each day of the week. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I think there's a significant portion of that. We use the term deconstruction a lot. Mm-hmm. People who deconstruct their faith, like they were maybe brought up in a certain stream of faith, they get into a, a position in their lives where 
they're beginning to question all the things that they believed. Some, some of the assumptions. Some of the assumptions that were or presuppositions that were usually I think it's foisted. They they would describe it as being foisted upon them. Right. And now they're kind of deconstructing the religious or spiritual narrative that they had been living under and like kind of sorting out what is true for them or what is important or what is unimportant or whatever. Yeah. I think a little I think that there is a healthy way there, there is a healthy version of deconstruction. Yeah. Um, and in some ways, I think those, you know, moody, moody students or yeah. whoever, uh, we had them at Roberts too, and they, they exist still now. And a little, maybe it's a little bit of even what I'm experiencing now in my own spiritual life is kind of deconstructing, deconstructing the, um, uh, non-denominational like church culture that reacts against traditionalism or denominationalism. Yes. Yeah. Deconstructing that, the spirit of that mm-hmm. and falling back into like, a, no, there is actually a richness to the liturgy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Liturgy does not have to be... Um, the way the high high church and liturgy was always the belief I was inherit I inherited was that if you're doing something because the lectionary tells you to do it, you're doing it out of dead works. Mm-hmm. You're just you're doing a ritual that's religion. That's not a relationship. You're just kind of like yeah. going through the motions. Whereas if you're more spontaneous, yeah. right, that that somehow more in line with God's spirit and the way God would have us worship him. Funny funny enough is that even churches who say that they operate on a completely Holy Spirit spontaneous type of like just do whatever, usually like you know what to eat. You know when to stand up and when to sit down still. You maybe don't have kneelers. You know what time it's going to start. You know what time it's going to end. Right. You know what elements are coming when, you know, it's not, it's not, actually spontaneous it's just like a new form of liturgy yes like everyone would say well i love conduit because there's no like structure or function or like there's no there's no liturgy i'm like well we do this pretty much the same thing we just don't have it written down yeah we don't you don't have a bulletin that you're following but i can tell you exactly kind of like the flow yeah it's very simple um, and if you were going to go to any other church in our kind of stream of church practice it would look almost exactly the same. Right. So um, I think that there's a difference between like letting the liturgy be the thing that's worshipped. Yes. Letting the like the order be the thing that's worshipped mm-hmm. versus letting it guide us into a spirit of worship of, you know, worshipping God. Um, I think that's where the danger becomes, where we become so attached to the um, program or style or flow of worship that we miss the person or the object of our worship. And you could say that for Anglican churches or Catholic churches or Methodist churches or non-denominational churches or whatever, all those things in between, whether they have strict liturgy that you can define every week or they don't. Right. You know, that's, that, that is a universal human sin problem of mm-hmm. worshiping things not the creator yeah um rather than it being a 
particular denominational versus non-denominational problem. Yeah. Well, once we get out of a, like, kind of a black and white space of, like, this one bad, this one good, right? And we begin to say, okay, well, what are the the benefits of the different styles of worship and, like, what do they have? Like, I, so, like, my, my reflection is, is that, like, our, our stream of, of worship, right? Like, um, welcome to the three songs, host and announcements, sermon, closing amount of songs, maybe communion mm-hmm. kind of put in there at the end, right? That, that type of service, right? Has some real great benefits, right? There's plenty of space for personal reflection, mm-hmm. um, kind of lingering in worship a little bit, musical worship mm-hmm. in for a bit and kind of letting um, some of that. It really highlights and gives lots of space and room for the word of God preached to kind of do work, kind of works on that kind of, you can kind of think of it kind of as a crescendo to that and kind of out of that. Um, but that order of service, is, but if you go to a more liturgical order of service, there's more room for prayer, right? Mm-hmm. Different types of prayers. Um, there's more room for... Communal uh, response. Communal responses, mm-hmm. right? Back and forth, call and response type prayers. There's mm-hmm. usually, uh, if you're going to a church like that, communion's offered at a higher frequency. Uh, communion is more central and rather than the... It's not the period at the end of the sentence. It's kind of like the, it's the central proclamation of the gospel in the middle right, of the service. Right. Every service is always building to communion. Yeah. Um, and so there's there's other benefits there, right? And so each each of those have – there's reasons why people do those, and those, those have different services and mm-hmm. stuff if we kind of break out of a black and white kind of space. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Yeah, we – um, we talked about this at Conduit this past week on Palm Sunday mm-hmm. when we were we served communion on Palm Sunday, um, and it had become or is be. I had a sense. I don't know if you had ever had this sense. I guess we didn't really talk about it um, beforehand, but I had this sense that our practice of sacrament of communion was um, maybe not as clear or as precise or as um, central yeah. as it both could be and mm-hmm. probably should be. Mm-hmm. And a lot of that, I think, was revolved around the... Um, the way in which I personally led through it. Um, And so my desire was to develop um, or to not even develop, because I can't even say it's particular, anything that I did was particularly novel to us, but to utilize or reintroduce in our practice of communion, some Mm -hmm. aspects of liturgy that would help to make the, sacrament a more central proclamation of the gospel and um and actual practice of the community of faith rather than something i did to them yeah um and uh so 
conduit being a fairly non-high liturgical church and knowing that it is a feature that some people really like really like mm-hmm. and have come here for mm-hmm. thought it maybe from a like pastoral leadership standpoint was wise that we kind of slowly walk into that like, yeah. more liturgical space and so introduced some aspects of liturgy this past week back into the communion service mm-hmm. um on good friday tomorrow i do have a full communion liturgy planned still i'm still honestly unsure if i'll use the whole thing or not yeah but it's there um and um and then uh you know, just moving moving forward into that, you know, like what it will, what, like, it's interesting because after this past Sunday, when we introduced like a very abbreviated form of liturgy for mm-hmm. communion, I got two people talking to me after service. And then one person called me mm-hmm. later in the week and was like, that is what we were missing. Hmm. Like in terms of it's like the practice of yeah. the sacraments in at conduit at mm-hmm. least is like that is that's it right there. Mm-hmm. Like he was like I don't know. It's not something that he had ever talked to me about before. It's not yeah. something that like I didn't check in with him to see if hey is that what you wanted type of thing. Like <laughs> sure no sure. it w- it was like uh, he independently was like that felt mm-hmm. so for lack of a better term, correct in regards to what this community needs in the moment. So I was encouraged by that, and I'm excited about that moving forward. Although I think it does represent an opportunity for us to do some teaching around liturgy and the church calendar and all of that. Well, you know, I think, like, let's kind of get into it a little bit of, like, all right, Cameron, why – what's the benefit? Why – why like, it, what like, – I'm going to play devil's advocate, the interlocutor, a little bit. Mm-hmm. Why is it better to have a written-out sort of formulaic way of doing things rather than just being – Spirit led and spontaneous. Yeah. So, um, a few things I would say in response to that. One is that um, I think that we actually do a disservice to the work of the Holy Spirit when we assume that mm-hmm. the Holy Spirit only works in extemporaneous, spontaneous fashion. Yeah. Where, like, a, the Holy Spirit doesn't want me to prepare anything. I think is a um, pastorally irresponsible um, method. Like it's a, it's just a false belief. I think for some reason we have bought into wholesale. Right. Right. Um, like okay, so the Holy Spirit can't work in the midst of my preparation. Did you just say God couldn't do something, Cameron? Right. <laughs> <laughs> like it just is a it's just a really false premise. Yeah. So, um, and in fact. What I find is that 
the more there there are moments in ministry, of course, where maybe I do something that is not necessarily planned or that I hadn't prepared to say, but that obviously the Holy Spirit works in the moment yeah. to to do something with it. I'm not saying that. Right. I'm not saying that that doesn't happen. That happens all the time. Sure. Every week, I would say. Yeah. Every yeah. week. But what I'm also saying is that there are significant times where in my lack of preparation, I am unable to be sufficiently clear mm-hmm. and um, and precise because... I'm because I'm I'm caught up in the moment, and so now I'm acting out of emotion, or right. I'm acting out of like distraction, or yeah. I'm acting out of like um, who's in the room, yep. how are they responding, what are they thinking, yep. rather than, for instance, with the communion liturgy being like, there's not like the, this is the proclamation of the gospel. Communal injury is the proclamation of the gospel. Yes, in you know, physical in physical form, in practice, and tangible elements right mm-hmm. before us: the body of Christ and the blood of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of our sins, expressed to us on the cross. Like it is, that is, you don't get any more central to gospel. Like, yep. and um, it's not like in the in the moments where clear communication of the gospel is at stake it's not time to get cute yeah well, you know, like get over yourself cameron you are not going to describe it extemporaneously or in a like spontaneously in a more significant or precise or rich manner than millions of christians have done throughout the course of human history right um, you are not special, Cameron. You know, like proclaim it simply and clearly, mm-hmm. and allow the Spirit of God to work through the proclamation and through the practice in order to bring people to faith, repentance, and new life in Jesus. Yeah. Um. So I believe that the message that the communion service seeks to proclaim is too important to leave up to just, hey, whatever I feel like saying in the moments that I'm, you know, right before service closes, Mm -hmm. I'll just say it. I'll just kind of feel how it's going. It's too important for that. Well, there's so many, there's there's a convergence of so much theology. Not just like there's the convergence of the gospel and its narrative and its story and its implications for salvation. There's the convergence of the underlying theology of what we feel like and think is happening at the table. Mm-hmm. There's the theology of who is the table for. Mm. There's the theology and just even the practicality of I need to sanitize my hands. I need to break the bread, hold the cup. I need to tell people to come down the line, rip and dip, like yeah. all of the logistics of it. Yep. Um, that there is just... There's so many things to talk about, and you just might skip one of them, right? And and then someone's confused or uncertain. Yep. Um, and there's so many things that are kind of wrapped up into it. Um, and there's this there's this weight 
in doing communion that I feel that I'm just like, huh, I get, ner- I get more nervous doing communion than just about anything else. Yeah. Right. Cause I'm just like, am I going to say the right thing? Um, and it, it's, it's, I don't know. It's important. I, I remember we were, uh, we were, I was kind of tangentially involved with this church. We were attending there for a while. Um, part of like a church plant and something, but it wasn't like a, I don't know, describing the relationship with this church was complicated. But anyways, attending this church service and the way that they did communion is they did it in such a way as to kind of communicate that, um, the way they introduced it, you felt a, pre- everyone felt a pressure to, com- to participate and the way that it just functionally happened. Every single person in the room had to participate and I was there one Sunday morning and I was talking with this person who came in the church and he was just like, yeah, I've never been, to, I haven't been, to, never been to church. I grew up in an atheist family. I like don't know what I think about God. I don't really believe in Jesus. I'm like just here because I feel like maybe I should check this out. Yep. Mm-hmm. And he did not get up to participate in communion. And afterwards he was like, he was he he came up and talked to me because we had kind of established rapport uh, prior to service, and he's like, "Did I do the right thing by not getting up and taking communion? Mm-hmm. I didn't want to disrespect you guys and like take communion because I don't believe in it." And like he was he was I was like, "No, no, no, no! Like you you did the right thing because you don't you don't believe in what's happening. Mm-hmm. You're you're not a follower of Jesus. You you don't believe in God, like." You should not feel guilty for having not taken communion. Right. Mm-hmm. You like that's a failing somehow on how we how it was presented today mm-hmm. that made you feel uncertain as to where you kind of sat. Sure. Um, and so like there's all of like there that guy did uh, we did end up baptizing him and praise loves the Lord. The Lord. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was a it's a really fun story. Um, yeah. but um. Yeah, there's all of that complexity. Yeah. And to think that we're going to come up and just say it off the top of our head right. is... I'm too much of an idiot. <laughs> I'm, I'm serious. Yeah. Like, I'm too much of an idiot to to get it right on my own. Mm-hmm. Like, and I don't, like, and I, I can hear the response as well, you just let the Holy Spirit lead you. Yes, I, I get that. And do I think that... Do I think that I'm going to get up to heaven and Jesus is going to be like, you didn't do the communion liturgy right? Right. You didn't do the communion liturgy right? right. No, I don't think that. Sure. I don't think that communion is um, is functional for our salvation. Like, I don't think that if I don't do communion, if I don't take communion, then I'm going to miss out on salvation somehow. Mm-hmm. In the same way I think about baptism. Right. Um, we have to have a theology that fits the thief on the cross. Right. Yeah. But and, and so, but that doesn't that doesn't mean that I have a low view of communion right. or a low view of baptism. I have a very high view of both of them. Mm-hmm. But I, they need to be put into context of like their their salvific importance. Yes. Um, and so I just know that I want to. And why wouldn't why wouldn't I guess I don't know why every person coming to a church or calling me their pastor mm-hmm. 
would want something other than me thinking through super clearly and super intentionally something as important as communion so that I am measuring every word Mm -hmm. as as much as I'm, as best as I'm able. Do your best. Do my best. Right. Why would you not do your best? Why would I not do my best? And why would anyone want me to not do my best? Yeah. And just like off the cuff, do it. I don't. I don't know. I. I think that there's a really um, not necessarily in the same stream of thought here, but there's a really interesting conversation that I think that we can have. And I. I don't know. Maybe it's. Uh, maybe this is. We expand this conversation because we we're we we're kind of talking about sacraments today, but we're also kind of just talking about the church in general. And, um, you know, like there's a question I have about the other main sacrament that that we practice here at conduit which is baptism yeah. and maybe we can just like put a pin in this question and come back mm-hmm. to it when we have more time to talk about baptism in particular but the question about baptism or that sacrament would mm-hmm. be is baptism the mark of justifying faith mm-hmm. or sanctifying faith meaning at what point yeah. in someone's relationship with jesus do we baptize them yeah you know that's can we yeah. put a pin yeah, in we that? We can put a pin in it. Put a pin in that put one. Put a pin in it. But I do think that there's an underlying presupposition that you're holding that mm-hmm. I think is super important that like I don't want to leave on the cutting room mm-hmm. table for this conversation. Okay. So this is this is again, I'm speaking out of my experience mm-hmm. and what I've observed from the churches that like I've attended and believers I've known. Um in churches that are low liturgy, low church. Um, have a, have maybe kind of, or when you start talking about Christ being present in the communion, mm. um, if you get a little bit uncomfortable, churches where that's like, where we're just like, there's maybe this overemphasis on this is just a sign, this is just a symbol, mm-hmm. right? This just, th- this is just a like thing that it's a metaphor, right? That kind of language when we're talking about communion and baptism. This is a metaphor. This is a symbol. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, in in kind of a less uh, extreme fear that there would be a confusion over um, communion and baptism being a thing that saves you, right? Which we just clearly said is not. Correct. Right? So if you're in that stream of churches where... um, that's where you're kind of coming away from and you're coming into this space of like, these are symbols, they don't save me, but they're a thing we're supposed to do. What I have noticed is that with communion and with baptism, both of them, is that there becomes a, because we kind of leave behind some of the meaning and the theology of the other high churches, mm-hmm. we end up bringing a meaning and an importance and a significance to communion and baptism that rests upon what we do. Mm-hmm. So you, you might, if you're listening, you might be like, what in the world is Luke talking about? I'm talking about like, if, you co- if you've ever been in a church service and you do communion and a significant portion of the communion is like, get yourself right with the Lord right now right. before you come up here to take communion. Like you need to, this is a time of repentance for your sin. This is like, you need to get yourself right. Don't take the communion if you don't feel like you're, worthy to do it this week, or if you've got an argument unleft, right? Huge emphasis on that portion. Um, 
Or I've talked with people who go to church every week, take communion, um, f- love the Lord, and then they're not baptized. And I ask them, why are you not baptized? And they're like, well, I'm not ready to be that kind of Christian. Right. I'm not ready to be that level of disciple. All my sin is not done away with. All my that. sin is not done away. If I yep. if I get baptized, that means I'm a, means I'm serious. And the thing is that's like there's a whole bunch of stuff there, but the primary thing that I think is wrong in all of those situations is that it's an emphasis on what we do yep. and not an emphasis on what Christ has done for us. Yeah. Communion is primarily about what Christ does for us. Yep. Baptism is primarily about what Christ does for us, whether or not it's salvific, yeah. or not not salvific, but it's part of justification or sanctification. Mm-hmm. Both of those things still rest upon it being about what Christ is doing, mm-hmm. not about what we're doing. Right? If you have you kind of seen that in yes, yeah, hundred um, percent, and it you know like even the moment of baptism becomes about like. This is a, this is a proclamation that I am making. Yes. Yeah. You know, and, um, and the that that's a little bit. I think it's a kind of an anachronistic look at church history and the way that baptism has kind of morphed in church history mm-hmm. throughout the history of the church. But I kind of think the the biblical witness of baptism is what the Holy Spirit does. Yeah. On us, right, right. It is. It it becomes the mark, the deposit. The question, the main question that I had, really was like, you know, you you kind of alluded to it was was basically like, well, do we do we baptize people who are in active sin because they're not, you know, like they're obviously not. They have not fully come. To, right to Christ, right? Yeah. So, like, well, are we baptizing people that we know are in active sin? Are we withholding? We're touching a whole bunch of theology, whole right bunch now. of theology, <laughs> right? Where, um, where does is the church the the guardian of the sacraments, right? So that we can withhold the sacraments from people mm-hmm. whom we deem are not in spiritual condition to receive them. Mm-hmm. Way super dangerous, I believe, if we believe that the main force moving through the mm-hmm. sacraments is the Holy Spirit of God. Yeah. You know. Um, but, you know, like, does does our withholding of the sacraments until a person is ready right. for to receive them, what does it say about our theology of the sacraments, our own ecclesiastical structures? Yep. You know, because the question that brought this whole thing to my mind, and I want to talk more about baptism next time because I think that there's, I got a lot of thoughts on it, is do we say either actually physically, practically say, or is it just an assumed behavior, an assumed theology that we have that only those who have already expressed faith in Jesus Christ can come up to receive communion? 
Well, I mean, that goes back into the theology of who's a Christian, right? Like, I think that's part of the I think that's that's part of the conversation. Yeah. Certainly, um, like, what does it mean to be Christian? Right? Does that mean that like is it to be to be a follower of Christ? Does that mean that you need to be perfect? Yeah, but 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 I think that even that. Leading with that question is again, it's a little bit anthropocentric, mm-hmm. and I think the the thing needs that we we need to start with the with like what is the sacrament, right? What is communion, right? It, you know, it's not something. It's it's more what Christ does than it is what we do, right? So if we start from a place of like, can a non Christian person take communion mm-hmm. we're i think we we need to start with the question what do we believe is the theological central belief about what the sacrament is mm-hmm. about what the bread and the cup is about what is happening in the moment right yeah if we were to say that like the bread and the cup are representative of or are the actual presence of Christ offered to us, mm-hmm. then, then you know, I would lean towards the side of being like, well, while I was still a sinner, right. Christ died for me. So while I was still in my sin, the thing that we're celebrating, mm-hmm. the death of Christ, the, bro- the breaking of his body, the shedding of his blood for the forgiveness of sins. Right. Right, I'm still in my sin. The gift of God through Jesus Christ is offered to me. Mm-hmm. Right? How many times I don't know. Did the grace of God? What was the grace of God moving in my heart before I surrendered to it mm-hmm. and said, "Yes, Lord, I do desire to follow Jesus. I trust in Him for my salvation." Mm-hmm. Right? There was certainly. Pre-conversion extensions of God's grace through mm-hmm. Jesus Christ mm-hmm. to me that I rebuffed for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. Okay, um, but that does not that that didn't like negate those the extension of God's grace right. through His Spirit to me. Mm-hmm. So if we're saying in the elements that it is the proclamation of the invitation to, mm-hmm. the extension of, from God to sinful humanity to receive by faith Jesus. Right. The breaking of his body, the shedding of his blood. Yeah. Then I think it, like, I have a real question about, like, I, I almost think that the that the sacraments in some ways are just as appropriate for those who are pre-Christ mm-hmm. and are... And and they're they're used as a manner of gospel proclamation to draw right. them into Christ, right? Just as much as they are a celebration, a remembrance, a act of worship for you and I mm-hmm. to come before the table and receive once again the gift of God through Jesus Christ, yeah, and forgiveness. Yeah, well, certainly if the if the sacrament of communion <coughs> is that inexorably tied to the gospel almost so as to be 
not the same but parallel mm-hmm. right then yeah right i'll be honest that's that's different I, like i noticed that when i came on staff here i was like oh that's that is a different theology of communion in mm-hmm. practice than i've had in any prior church yeah. that i've participated or belonged to yeah. um and i think really beautiful theological mm-hmm. um understanding of communion just yeah. one that is a newer is a newer aspect to me one of the things that i'm really disappointed with in the church the christian church in general is the overemphasis on the corinthians passage of taking of the lord's prayer in uh, yeah. or the lord's supper in in a wrongful manner right yeah right like and it's always used it's always used to communicate that if you're not a christian taking communion is proclaiming judgment upon you yeah Right. And I'm just like, how did a whole how did a whole generation of the church just refuse to read the context of Corinthians? Because P- Paul is not addressing non-Christians at all. Right. He's actually saying that it's it's those who have already expressed faith in Jesus Christ that eat it in an unworthy manner mm-hmm. when they hustle to the altar and consume all the elements, literally consume all the elements at the at the behest of those who are be- essentially behind them in the line. Mm-hmm. That they rob the rest of the community of the opportunity, especially the poor, mm-hmm. of the ability to or the or the opportunity to Mm-hmm. take the elements that's if if you just approach that passage in corinthians from a like just reading it for what it is mm-hmm. reading it in context it becomes perfectly clear that paul is not making this grand throughout the course of historical timeline proclamation that anyone who receives the lord's supper who is not a christian is taking it in an unworthy manner and is therefore proclaiming judgment upon their head. That's like, I I don't have any idea where in the heck <laughs> pastors have gotten off or gotten away with that um, without someone saying like, that is not what Paul was saying at all. And if we take the Gospels seriously mm-hmm. and the way in which Jesus, like, in that moment, John chapter 13, we come back to John chapter 13, practiced the Last Supper, mm-hmm. broke of the bread and gave it to his – it's inexorably tied to the offer of himself mm-hmm. in salvation. So – I have, man, I'm like, we're like a little bit over time. Um, we'll do a part two on this. We'll do a part two. Because I'm ready to rip right yeah. now. I <laughs> Let's like, go. Because like, I have, a, like, I want to mention, I want to talk about like the Didache. Mm. Um, have mm. you ever read like the, their communion practice in the Didache? I don't know that I have. It like, maybe we'll. Maybe we should talk about that next time. Let's but. Um, maybe let's make sure you post that somewhere. Put a notion around, like send it to me, so I 
we can read it, but yeah, because yeah. I, I I would be interested to hear your response to that, and mm-hmm. I and I don't want to misquote it. So yeah, um, if anyone's listening and you're like, what in the world did Luke say? The Didache, D I D A C H E. Google it. Yeah, it's a old. It's like the first manual of how to do church, yes. kind of. That's the best way I can kind yes. of describe it. It's a really old document. Mm-hmm. So, but anyways, but yeah, we'll we'll pick this up as a part two. I think mm-hmm. we've kind of, yeah, we're getting into it. And I think there's definitely more stuff to talk about here. Yeah, so that's more. Yeah. If you have questions, always mailbag. Yeah. Uh, we have a mailbag. We'd love to be able to answer questions here. Um Seven one six two zero one zero five zero seven is the number. Text your questions or your comments in. Of course, you can always comment wherever you're watching, YouTube, um, Apple, or Spotify. We would appreciate it if you are watching or wherever you're watching to give us a like, a thumbs up, a share, a rate, whatever you can do. It would help boost um, the, uh, the viewership. We appreciate it. Well, yep. We'll see you next time. Happy Easter. <laughs>